name is Cynthia Vigil, and I'm a former street worker in Albuquerque. It was March 22nd, 1999. I was taken to this guy, thinking it was a date. He handed me the money, and when I came up from putting it in my shoe, he put a handcuff on me and told me he was a cop. And I tried fighting him, and his girlfriend came out of nowhere and shocked me with a cattle prod. I was taken in Elephant Butte Lake, where they had torture chambers. I was totally naked, tied up to the headboard and footboard of the bed. He played a tape. He starts off by saying, hello, bitch. Hello there, bitch. You're gonna be kept chained in a variety of different positions. <laughs> I was shocked, raped, hung by the ceiling, drugged. Everything he thought of was done to me. After three days, the man went to work and he took the handcuffs and shackles off me but left me tied to the wall. And I untied myself. Um, she beat me with a lamp and uh, she stabbed me with an ice pick in my back and I stabbed her and I ran. Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. On tonight's episode, we take a look at the Toy Box Killer. Don't worry, there's no, no need to bring your own ball gag and handcuffs. He's got you covered. This is Scarlet Tavern. Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Um, we are going to, as you guys heard in the intro, we are going to get into something pretty nasty, uh, pretty brutal. The Toy Box Killer was not a very nice person. Um, and the way we're doing this is a little bit different. Um, normally we start out with the upbringing of the toy of the suspects and what led up to everything. This time we are going from the view of the victim. Um, the toy box killers journals are very hard to find. Um, they have basically been removed from the internet for the most part, uh, without, me scouring for months it would be hard to find um but it's possibly a good thing uh because that journal was very detailed um and we'll see he's suspected in raping torturing and killing a lot of women he is 
he has covered more women than most serial killers, most well-known serial killers. Um, so, but the problem with his and that we'll see is there was, unlike Ted Bundy and everybody else, no bodies were ever found. Even to this day, nothing's been ever been found. It was just witness statements and this and that. So, um, so this is a viewer discretion. Uh, if this kind of stuff isn't your cup of tea, to be honest, you probably shouldn't be listening to us because we are kind of a true crime podcast. But, um, but. With that being who occasion- said, who occasionally make fun of the wards. Yes. With that being said, though, um, let's go ahead and dive right in to the toy box killer. The young woman running down the dirt road was completely naked and moving as fast as she could. Stones in the road must have hurt her bare feet, but she believed she was running for her life. No matter what it took, Cynthia V was bent to escape. Was bent on escape. It was late afternoon on March second, nineteen nine, March twenty second, nineteen ninety nine, but not excessively cold, as she fled through the New Mexico desert near the Sierra Caballo Mountains. A woman driving by saw Cynthia screaming, locked her car door, and sped away. Great person. Cynthia did not realize how she looked, with blood streaming from a head wound and a metal collar padlocked around her neck, and a chain dangling behind. A man in the second car swerved to avoid her and also drove away. Her plight felt hopeless. While she came upon small homes and trailers along the road, they seemed locked up, and she thought she dare not take the time to stop and knock, just in case they were behind her. Then she spotted a well-kept mobile home, um, and to her great relief, the door was open. She bounded over, rushed inside, slammed the door shut, and begged the surprised woman watching television to help her. The homeowner hurried to help when she saw how seriously Cynthia was hurt. Blood caked her hair, and there were blood droplets on her face and terrible bruises all over her body. As Cynthia locked the door, the homeowner called 911 and then retrieved a robe for the naked girl. Cynthia, only 22, was stunned to learn that she was about 150 miles south of where she lived in Albuquerque. She was an elephant but, Butte, but, a resort town of approximately 2,000 residents that sat above an 18-mile-long, 36,000-acre reservoir. Two police officers responded to the call, whereupon Cynthia cried hysterically, I'm alive, I'm alive. She tried to calm herself, although it was difficult, and told them she'd been kidnapped by a man who, with a woman, had held her prisoner in a trailer nearby. For three days, they had tortured her with a bizarre collection of sexual and medical instruments. She only just managed to get away. The male abductor had left the trailer not long ago, charging the woman with looking after Cynthia. But when she had gone to another room, Cynthia had grabbed the set of keys that hung just within reach and unlocked the chain that fastened her to a pole. Then she spotted a phone and attempted to dial 911. But the woman returned and threw a lamp at her, hitting her on the head. Cynthia fell down while the woman hung up the phone to cut off the call, but she quickly recovered. 
a box of items that spilled over contained an ice pick the couple had used on her, so she grabbed it to defend herself. The woman backed off, giving Cynthia the brief opportunity to rush for the door. She fled without her clothing, certain if she stayed a moment longer, she'd never emerge. Cynthia told the officers the location of the trailer, but, in fact, another team was already on it. A 911 call had just come in from that location, 513 Bass Road, but had been interrupted. The dispatcher believed the struggle, that a struggle had taken place, so police had gone to check it out. Cynthia was taken to a hospital, and she reported that her abductors had used her as a sex slave and probably had intended to kill her. She had bruises and burn marks from electrical torture on her body to prove it, which hospital personnel documented with photographs. The details she spilled out were almost too gruesome to believe, but there was one way to verify her account, conduct a search. The local police had no idea just then how big this investigation would become, how disturbing, or how frustrating. Cynthia was aware of some of the details she related might seem hard to credit, yet she was able to show them the welts on her back, punctures on her breasts, cuts, bruises, and a recent bump on her head. She admitted her abductor, she admitted, while working as a prostitute in Albuquerque. Vernon Gerberth offers the details in sex-related homicide and death investigation, which is where we're getting a lot of what I'm talking about from, from Vernon Gerberth. Gaberth, sorry. The man, David Parker Ray, had offered her $20 for oral sex in his Toyota RV. Cynthia climbed into the cab where she encountered Cindy Leah Hendy, Ray's live-in girlfriend. Cynthia sensed a trap, but then Ray flashed a badge and told her she was under arrest for solicitation. As they bound and gagged her, she realized they were not police at all, but intended to kidnap her. They placed duct tape over her mouth and locked a steel collar around her neck and drove for several hours with her in the back. There was nothing she could do to resist. When they stopped, they took her into a double-wide trailer and chained her to a post next to a bed. Apparently, it was where they lived. Soon, she said, they had played a 20-minute tape for her that informed her of what was in store. She was now their sex slave, and she could expect a great deal of abuse. Among other things, she would have sex with animals. The tape's voice told her, be forcibly raped with dildos, having her nipples stretched to the fullest extent they would go, and give oral sex to Ray whenever he demanded it. She was also told that other women before her had died. They applied a series of electrical and medical instruments to different areas of her body, ignoring her muffled moans of pain and the pleas in her eyes to be released, and she was certain they meant to use her as long as possible and then kill her. They suspended her from the ceiling, whipped her, threatened her with a gun. Ray had raped her repeatedly as well and done other things to humiliate her. He had told her that, she, that he had a secure room in which he had more extreme implements and that she would soon be taken there. She looked for some possible way to escape before she was ever subjected to this. To her mind, that secure room would be her tomb. The officers responding to the interrupted 911 call apprehended David Parker Ray, 59, and his girlfriend Cindy Lee Hendy, 39, in their Toyota RV as they were leaving the trailer. 
Both were arrested and taken to the police department where they gave matching statements. They had been trying to help Cynthia kick a terrible heroin habit. Although the case thus far was now largely a matter of he said, she said, the officers weren't willing to turn these two potential offenders loose until they sorted out the facts. A background check indicated that Ray was a mechanic with the State Parks Department, which gave him access to a wide swath of state land. In itself, this was not troubling unless he, in fact, killed people. Um, that right there. So when we talk about the them not having anything, because they really don't. They have a case of this woman said this. They have no evidence, no proof. Um, and then they're saying that they're trying to kick a heroin habit, which she's a sex worker. In the 90s, heroin was very common, especially in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to be honest, the police would be more likely to believe the other two than the sex worker. True. Um, I would think just the sheer shock value of it. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but I would imagine they could easily verify if she's been on drugs recently with just a simple blood test and if they if they're if this couple is saying oh yeah they're, she's our friend we're trying to help her kick the habit of drug and there's no evidence of drugs in her system that's kind of shoots down that uh that story right then and there yeah i do believe uh we'll probably get into it but if i do recall they did shoot her up with drugs I mean, I, I honestly would find it very unusual if they didn't do that. It seems oh. like they did everything else toward her. Yeah, so... Drugs, drugs are the line we don't cross? The nice thing is, is that I can, in most states, I can hold you for 48 hours before I need to either press charges or just let you go. I believe New Mexico is the same way, 48 hours. And so that gives me two days to find some concrete evidence to get these two. Otherwise, I let them go. They're probably going to run. So. Um, the state police quickly secured a warrant to look for the items the victim had told them about, as well as evidence of her being there. They, if they could find the tapes, whips, and other implements, this would be clearly not a case of a pair of friends helping another kick a drug habit. Yet what Cynthia described hardly prepared them for what they had found. Um... This is going to get into a lot of details of what's in there, so you may want to skip ahead if you don't want to hear this, but this there is a lot of stuff in here. Inside the trailer, investigators, investigators discovered a gun and a broken lamp matching Cynthia's description of, of the one used to strike her and the clear evidence of a recent struggle. They also came across the fake police badge Ray had used and his instructions to Hendy for watching the victim while he was away. The clothing that Cynthia had been wearing when Ray and Hendy had picked her up was there as well, 
as was an assortment of medical devices just as the, just as Cynthia had described, along with items used to administer electrical shock. In addition, the police found the pole to which she had been chained and the ice pick she used to confront her abductor. They also discovered the audio tape used to terrorize Cynthia and its contents recorded in 1993 were just as grim and, the terrify- and terrifying as she had described. Next to the double-wide trailer was a smaller one, of typically, of a type generally used for moving cargo. Um, this small trailer was basically a U-Haul trailer, um, and that that was the secure room. That's where he got the toy box killer from. It was the secure room where all of his good toys were. Um. This was apparently the secure room where Cynthia feared she would die. Uh, Gaybirth provides photos of the contents of what Ray called his toy box. Um, so if you do want to look into it more, you can find sex-related homicide and death investigation uh, by Vernon Gaybirth. Uh, you'll see the actual pictures of the toy box. Um this space was 15 by 25 feet entirely devoted to sexual torture. Ray had drawn pictures of what he had planned to do to the victims and to accomplish his visions. He had gathered a number of surgical instruments to inflict different types of torment. He also used medical manuals specifically devoted to female anatomy. He also had a homemade electrical device that was clearly intended for inflicting pain and a number of syringes and means of keeping a person under restraint. Then there were the obvious sexual implements, such as large dildos, belts, and whips. There was also a homemade video of the couple applying these implements to a woman who seems terrified. It was uncomfortable to watch her scream as Ray methodically threatened and hurt her. Ray placed a TV monitor in the right-hand corner of the trailer, so his victims, who were secured to the chair as he tortured them, could see what he was doing to them by looking at the monitor. He had a video camera focused on the gynecology chair to view his operations. Ray had the whole place rigged with a series of chains and pulleys. He also had drawings of things he wanted to do, as well as photographs of the torture he had inflicted on other women. In addition, he had a series of dolls strung up in various states of bondage and torture. Among his texts was a copy of American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis, a novel that details the violent assaults of a man, uh, the violent assaults a man inflicts on his victims whenever he needs to blow off steam from his high-stress life. Like its lead character, Ray viewed himself as a man in command and thought his thought of his victims as expendable pawns in his game. He referred to them as packages thoughts so far holy shit uh well uh i've actually seen american psycho that's a pretty out there movie and um that's kind not surprising somebody would try and emulate that the main character on there um Wow, I, uh, 
can't imagine. My thing that always baffled me about this, how did he find somebody to go along with him? I mean, I know that it's, it's rare, but it happens that serial killers get a partner, but um, still, it's like, good lord, how did you get somebody to go? A woman also, nonetheless, too. Oh, she was just as fucked up as he was. Um, she, he just happened to find a woman that was, uh, just as much of a psychopath as he is. Yeah. Kind of wish the state, state, state of the states would, uh, do a little bit of better screening of their employees. I can Giving yeah, people, like, gi- giving these we- these psychos access to state land, it yeah. almost makes you not want to actually go to a state park anymore. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I like the disassociation that he has by referring to them as packages. You know, yeah, like for for like the layperson, for us, it's hard for us to fathom because of that association you know with another person oh this is a human being uh how could you do such a thing but when you have that mindset of this this is just a package it's it's a it's an object i can do with it as i want discard it and move on to the next and i i have no remorse whatsoever just can only imagine we got him to that point. Among the more interesting items, supposedly based on his years of experience, was a page of directions that Ray had apparently written for how to handle a sex slave. Bondage was a must, of course, and the neck collar was considered permanent. He included methods of psychological torture, including a blindfold and a slow, deliberate approach. Verbal abuse was part of every move, including putting the slave in the right positions as he told her what he was going to do, and it was important to prevent her from thinking too much. Keep her off balance, the list read, as well as emphasizing the importance of keeping both her mind and body in a state of stress. The point was to make her docile and willing to do what she was told. He had a list of 16 techniques for brainwashing someone, which included isolation, fear tactics, abuse, and occasional small favors. The best way to make a slave malleable. She never knew what to expect. Ray's Toyota RV2 yielded evidence, as it was soon clear that the restraints Cynthia recalled were there, permanently attached. The police also found duct tape and items used to make the RV appear to be an official police vehicle. Ray and Hendy were both detained and charged with 12 counts, including kidnapping, aggravated battery, and conspiracy. Their bail was set at $1 million each, but even with this evidence, it would not be easy to nail them. Yet the media got wind of the incidents and reporters were soon arriving, detailing everything they could learn about the sexual torture. Ray described himself on an audio tape found among his effects as a dungeon master with an affiliation of the Church of Satan. So, not the good kind of dungeon master like myself. Mm-hmm. The bad dungeon master. Um, 
there, so there is no actual evidence that he was affiliated with the Church of Satan. Um, Outside of him just saying he was? Correct. So, here's a big misnomer. Um, and we're, we're gonna get into this and some people may like it. Some people don't, I don't really give a shit. Um, the church of Satan isn't this this thing, this cult that people think it is. Um, and they, to be honest, they don't even worship Satan. Um, they have come out and said, you can read their books. They don't actually worship Satan. They church of Satan, uh, according to the president of the church of Satan, um, is all about freedom to do what you want. No repercussions. Um, but they don't actually worship Satan. They don't do these killings and sacrifices that everybody believes they do. Um, so I highly, highly suggest everybody read into the church of Satan. We may, we may do an episode on it. Um, because it is, it's definitely interesting to look at because of course, growing up Christian and Catholic, the church of Satan is, they are horrible people that are going to burn in hell for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, sacrificing babies every couple months and exactly all that stuff yeah. they're they're supposed to be the worst people um yeah. but they also don't pressure people into believing their religion and telling them that they're gonna go to hell but um anyways <laughs> uh so his sex slaves were not just for his own use he said but for all members of his congregation in other words the woman forced to listen to this was made to believe she would be repeatedly raped and abused by many others who indulged in some of the most sadistic amusements a human could devise for every threat Ray made on the tapes. He had an instrument to carry it out the same approach used by Cameron hooker, who had kept a sex slave for years in Oregon, Cameron hooker. We may get into, um, he's not as big as toy box killer, but he, uh, how long did he um he kept Colleen Stan for seven over seven years um and yeah I believe it was seven years she was a hitchhiker um, and he and his wife kidnapped, raped, and tortured Colleen Stan. This was back in 1977. Um, he, he's somebody we may touch into cause it's definitely interesting. Actually criminal minds did a thing on them. Um, but uh, from the victim's account, detectives learned that she had been tied up in such a way to keep her legs open as wide as possible and then subjected to a series of humiliations as well as shocks from counterprods and stun guns. She had been forced to submit to the insertion of oversized dildos and placed at times inside of a coffin-like box. 
All the while, Hendy had watched. She had made no move to help. Instead, she had appeared to be enjoying the show. Ray also had photographed some of the things he had done for his records and probably for later delectation. Um, The search team had a huge task ahead, collecting each item and labeling it. The evidence had to be handled carefully in such a way that none would be thrown out of court. They believed that Ray was a serial offender, possibly a serial killer, and they wanted to be sure to put him away. New Mexico Public Safety uh, Public Safety Director Darren White told reporters this is very disturbing stuff. What he'd seen inside the toy box had literally made my stomach turn. Although authorities were reluctant to give out details, White assured worried residents that the nightmare was behind bars. I will say, if a... So he's the Director of Public Safety, which means he has been a cop for a while. If he said that that made his stomach turn, it is some nasty stuff. Uh, another case, case like where instances where the cops got sick was uh, um, the Wonderland killings, which I hope I I'd like to will probably cover sometime way down the road. Uh, it was a murder in the nineteen uh, either the ni- late yet yeah, early seventies. Uh, in L.A. that cops who were on the scene, these were cops who had actually responded, some of the first responders to the Manson family killings, showed up at the um, at the Wonderland home in the scene there and were actually having to run outside and puke their guts out because it was just... It, somehow they found a crime that was worse than the Manson family killings. And for you two, just to sh- give you an idea... That was the inside of one of the trailers. That was the toy box. That was the small one. Why? Why? I had that planned out, didn't I? Yeah. Why? Why can't people have just normal hobbies? Like, um, you can stamps. see here, which we'll post these on social media because they won't get us in trouble. Um, there's an X-ray. <laughs> Of the big trailer. So. Yeah. It, it was pretty. Pretty yeah, he, fucking crazy. He's got a full exam table and everything. Yeah. he. Lord. And then. I mean. You can kind of guess what this dude looks like. Um, he. He looks just like you would think. Um. And again, we'll we'll be posting this, but that is the toy box killer. That's David Parker Ray. Wow, looks um, like a creep. Yeah, he he definitely is not a good person. Um, no. Uh, let's see. So. Lawyers appointed both to both defendants stated that they would enter the not guilty pleas at the arraignments. Hungry for further details, reports fanned out around the area, learning that those who knew Ray, uh, from those who knew Ray, that he seemed like a regular guy. No one reported having any trouble with him. He had no criminal record, and there had never been any suspicious about any suspicions about what he might be doing on his property, which he leased from the Park Service. 
but the darker hints coming from the police indicated that he was a lot worse than he seemed. Photos and videos found among the items in the toy box showed a victim bound and subjected to torture. This corroborated Cynthia's story about similar things done to her, yet did not, but did not yet prove it had been against her will. That she had worked as a prostitute would diminish her credibility. The prosecutors knew this. They hoped they could find this other woman and get her story if she was still alive. Soon the case against Ray gained additional strength when the incident was reported in newspapers. Angelica M. from nearby Truth or Consequences came forward to say that she'd suffered a similar ordeal at the hands of this couple just a month before. She was not the woman in the video, so she was yet a third possible victim. She was an acquaintance of the defendants, she said, and she had entered their home on February 17th looking for cake mix. Ray had left and come back with a knife, informing her that she was being kidnapped. She had looked over at Hendy and had seen her holding a gun. She knew then that they were serious. They grabbed her, bound her, and stripped her. Harnessing her onto a table, they then placed a metal collar on her, attached electrodes to her breast, and jolted her with several electrical shocks, and abused her with several with various sexual implements. Then Ray forced her to give him oral sex. This ordeal went on for three days, she claimed, at which point she was taken from the main trailer to a smaller one and strapped into a chair. They ran electrical currents through her body, shocking her repeatedly in her most sensitive areas. She begged the couple to release her. Finally, on the fourth day of her ordeal, she managed to persuade them to let her go. They had taken her miles away, dumped her out onto a local highway out in the desert, where a police officer picked her up. She reported what happened to her, but the report was apparently filed without follow-up. Now that Ray and Hendy had been charged with criminal behavior in a similar incident, she had decided to pursue her case. They received more charges, now totaling 25. When reporters pressed, officials were unable to provide details about why Hendy and Ray had not been investigated or arrested in February, but investigators from many jurisdictions were taking it seriously now. How so, do you not follow up on something like that? And that is a law enforcement fuck-up. Right, and, and now here's the great scramble. And Ben, to... to kind of elaborate on what you're you're asking how could they not follow up and in his case he's an upstanding citizen with a good job basically keys to the kingdom to you know all the state land and and all that kind of stuff it's it's a matter of he said she said to to the highest degree uh, more or less so, and unfortunately, all it takes is one lazy detective to go, eh, there's not going to be anything to this. I'm I'm not going to do anything with it. Yeah, I mean, and it just, I'm sure whoever that detective was, I, I would hope he was fired because, I mean, it took the police, one another victim escaping, it took them, it took just her saying what happened and the police were like, okay, Everybody just stay where you are. We're going to go check this. And just opening the door like, yeah, there's a gun. 
And there's a, like, literally, it was like a connect the dots. It was like, literally, there's a lamp that caused the head wound. There's this, there's that. It's right there. And it's, I was like, good God. Like, a, a couple, a few patrol officers were able to f figure it out. Well, I, I would love to have been, have been like, what was your excuse, dude? And Caleb, it doesn't go into her background, does it? Do we know more about her? Uh, about Angelica? No. Yeah. Not really. So, so that's the other factor. You know, all, all it says is that she was familiar with the defendant and was a quote-unquote neighbor. You know, Which was, is really was, odd they would do this. Why would they well, pick was some... Was she trashy? Was she not trashy? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I would almost surmise that she was probably one of the first and it was can we can we do this and get away with it kind of thing so i'm curious to see where she falls in the timeline of victims yeah it, it seems really risky to do it, it's one thing to just go drive to out like they said the 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 victim who start who kind of got the ball rolling on this was literally from Albuquerque. She's 150 miles. Right. She has, as far as they could tell, they she, this woman would have no ties to this community. They right. could literally bury her right out back, and nobody well, and would the be the wiser. That, that Cynthia is a prostitute, so nobody's gonna miss a prostitute, quote unquote. Which makes me even more curious about this the this victim that they let go. There must have been something with her or in her background or something that they knew that would make her story less believable. Very true. I I, I also just still it's still it just seems if this I would be interested too, but it just seems like even despite her background, why would you go? With somebody, I mean, this lady literally said, "Oh, I'm gonna go over to their house and borrow some cake mix." So it's like, so obviously, you're familiar enough that you can just go over to their house. So, it it from my point of view, that I would be the she'd be. I mean, obviously, I'm not this kind of sick and depraved, but from my point of view, she'd be the last person I do because I would consider to be a victim because if she disappears, I'm on a I'm probably on a very short list of people of associates and they just gonna go down eventually they're gonna show up to my house and be like hey what happened to so and so you're a friend of hers see but that thinking is also in line with the cop that's that's in us you know we we know how it works we know the investigation process yeah in, in a lot of cases short of somebody who is um, highly, highly intelligent in, in that aspect, that doesn't come into play. They don't yeah. think that way. And probably with this kind of level of dissociation with people, probably that is probably, I would probably wouldn't be surprised if there's not a lot of, if the analytical thinking isn't on every level. Um, so 
After searching the double-wide trailer, the police turned their attention to the half-acre lot on which the trailer stood. They found bone fragments, but they proved to be from animals, not humans. By April 1st, the FBI had 100 agents on the job, fanning out into Arizona and Texas searching for potential victims and witnesses. Leads took agents to Phoenix, Tucson, El Paso, and even to Juarez, Mexico. The tourist town of Truth and Consequences, about seven miles from Ray's trailer, became the headquarters for law enforcement and media alike. How about that for a name of a town? Uh, you want to know how they got the name of that town? So back in the 50s, there was a TV show called Truth or Consequences, and the the guy who ran the show said that um, I will come to your town and have like a week-long event if you are willing to re- officially rename the town truth or consequences and this town in new mexico did it and he true to his word he uh would show he showed up had a big old extravaganza and they would have a yearly event for quite a few years but yeah but it really wasn't a very big town to begin with so it's uh but yeah it's become it's kind of like a sideshow attraction because they literally renamed us uh a whole town town to the name of a game show yeah. Just to get onto the game show. I wonder if that's how Intercourse Pennsylvania got its name. <laughs> I mean, you, actually, you. I think they. I, I read somewhere where they said that Arizona has like the the most really bizarro like names of towns. I just. I guess when people were first settling into Arizona, nobody ever really thought anybody would stay there. So when they just started naming places because arizona is a shithole i hate arizona i've i've never been uh it is hell on earth um there's much more to this case than is publicly known special agent doug belden said to the washington post or otherwise they wouldn't have this kind of manpower invested in it The FBI had given the case the highest priority, even sending profilers from the BAU, Behavioral Analysis Unit. For those that don't know, go watch Criminal Minds. That's the BAU. Um, Just, they're not that... uh, They're not that that glorious. They're, They're not that glorious. Most of them have degrees in psychology. Most of them are psychologists. Um... Fun fact, when I got, before I went and did Fugitive Extradition with the Marshals, I was going to school to be a behavioral analyst. Um, And then I was literally going to, uh, getting ready to go to FIT, Florida Institute of Technology, um, for behavioral analysis, but... Just so everybody knows, any future cops out there, anybody that wants to be in the FBI, do not take behavioral analysis. It has nothing to do with the behavioral analysis unit. Uh, you will you take behavior analysis, you will spend more time uh, working with children with autism and things like that. Um, that, is, that is what it's used more for. If you want to get into the BAU, something like that, be a profiler get a psychology degree. Uh, that's your best bet. 
Correct. And once you get your psychology degree, start gravitating towards forensic psychology. Correct. And hope to God you can get some decent residencies. Yeah. And you better have a you better have perfect credit. Yeah. Uh good references. And a squeaky clean background. Correct. Like you shouldn't even have traffic tickets. Nope. To get into the FBI, especially at this point, because they're not that desperate anymore. Right. Especially in that unit. Oh, yeah. Because of everything that you deal with and the shit. You think law enforcement is in the shit day in and day out. And that's why our uh, divorce rate is so high and our alcoholism is so high. Magnify that tenfold for these guys. Yeah, I mean, we 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 dealt with like the surface stuff. Oh, look, drug dealer, right? Oh, right. a guy robs a convenience store. A guy goes on a manic yeah. rage and beats up guys in a bar. That's, I mean, that's bad. That can, like well, you sure. said, that, that sure. can wear on you. It's right. and that's and that's well, one thing one thing that we were talking about. So our our nightly routine is we watch our favorite show, Psych. I absolutely love that show. It's eh. one of my favorites. Um, it's okay. I'm, it's amazing. Shut up. It is. I'm, I'm watching it, it. It is so amazing, right up there with Ranch on Pizza. Yes, I, I hate you. I am watching it. This is my fourth time watching it through. Um, eh, and this. we were we were watching it, and it was one of the episodes where they were dealing with Yin and Yang, the serial killers, and we were talking about how that's the one thing that out of all of our experience that we never dealt with. We never dealt with serial killers. Right. Um, I've dealt with rapists. I've dealt with all of that, but I've never done ha- dealt with a serial killer. Um, and that is, that is a whole nother ball game. One, one thing I will say as well, before we continue is don't think you're going to get into the FBI and go right into the BAU. No. You are going oh, to spend, you know, you're going you to spend, uh, you are going to go in and you are going to be an agent for five to 10 years. And then as long as you are good enough, um, you can then begin specializing into certain fields. Um, you better have a squeaky clean record as an agent um, but you also, if you want to be into the BAU, you better get your doctorate. So a bachelor's is required to join the FBI. You have to have a bachelor's of some kind. Um, Learn that the hard way. Yeah. You have to have a bachelor's of some kind, but in order to be in the BAU, you have to have at least a master's, if not a doctorate. So. Because what you're dealing with requires such a whole different level and yes. depth of what you're doing. I mean. As I said, cops. Aaron said, "Why is our divorce rates and alcoholism?" For me, it's just, it's the wear and tear. We're just deal. We just deal with it day in, day out for right. twenty years. These guys are delving into like the soul of the human, well, and that's that's what I was going to say. Like we we do a small investigation, enough to get the evidence that we need. Then we go hook them, submit all the reports and the evidence, show up in court, and boom, we're done with them. These yeah. guys, even after they make a case, they are crawling inside their mind for years. 
it's it's not for everybody. Oh and, no! And no, if I you guys want to know any more about that, go watch the show Mind Hunters. Amazing Great show. show. It's about better than Psych. No, it's not. Um, no, it's not. It is. It is about them coining the term serial killer. Um, and uh, yeah, so go go watch Mind Hunters. They're supposed to be renewing it. I can't wait. Um, they just take so freaking long in production. Yeah. Um, we can thank COVID for that. Uh, it turned out that Cindy Hendy was from Seattle where her three children lived. She had moved to New Mexico to avoid arrest for forgery, theft, and possession of drugs. Reporters dug up a court report from the previous year in which Hendy had charged a former boyfriend with abuse, but then had told the court to disregard her complaint. I'm so sorry that I lied. She had stated, I have been in counseling for manic depression. It also came to light that Hendy had told a friend under the influence of alcohol that she'd participated in race attacks because it gave her an adrenaline rush. She confided to this person that they, that there were four to six people who had been killed, dismembered and tossed into elephant butt Lake. He didn't quite believe her, but he later told the police and also gave statements to several reporters. Hendy, it turned out, was willing to deal. In exchange for a considerably reduced sentence, she provided details of Ray's alleged murders, which totaled 14, not 40 as some accounts have it. According to what she had, what she said he told her, he had once killed a business partner from Phoenix, Billy Bowers, but when he dumped the body into the lake, it had come back up, a murder that was unsolved at his time of arrest. Thus, he had learned to open the stomachs of people he killed so they would submerge easily in a lake and stay down. Hendy claimed that Ray had disposed of many bodies in the lake and in ravines around south-central New Mexico. He'd been questioned by the FBI in some of the cases, but had always been clever enough to fool them, according to Hendy. Authorities followed leads in ten different states using ground-penetrating radar and cadaver-sniffing dogs, but found no bodies. Hendy also revealed that Ray's daughter, Glenda Jesse Ray, had participated with Ray and a man from TRC named Dennis Roy Yancey in the murder of a young woman. The victim's name was Marie B. Parker, and when she went missing and when she went missing, she was twenty-two. She was also the mother of two young children. Investigators soon located Yancey, twenty-seven, and brought him in for questioning. Informally, Yancey offered information about the sadomasochist acts he had witnessed and in which he had some participated at Ray's trailer. He implicated Ray's daughter in this activity and described pictures he had seen of Ray's former wife in bondage positions. He had also watched Ray torture a girl inside the toy box, but insisted that she had consented. Nevertheless, Jesse Ray had allegedly told him that her father had kidnapped women for S&M sex. In a second interview, Yancey changed his tune. He stated that he did not know of Marie Parker, who had been killed. In fact, she was his former girlfriend. On July 5th, 1997, he'd gone with Ray and Jesse to a saloon for what he thought was a drug deal. Father and daughter went in and returned with Marie. They placed her in handcuffs and warned her that if she talked, they would kill her. Yancey was told to stay with her in the rear of the vehicle 
They then took Marie to the toy box, and Yancey considered calling the police, but thought better of it. He was afraid of Ray. He knew that the girl was held for three days, being repeatedly tortured, and then Ray and Jesse came to Yancey and told him they were done with her. They gave Yancey a rope and instructed him to strangle her, which he admitted he did. They then went together to dump the body in a remote area, after which Ray threatened Yancey with the same fate if he ever told. When he attempted to show law enforcement where the body was, he was unable to locate the exact place. It's good to note it's also possible that Ray had moved the body, worried that Yancey might crack. On April 10th, 1999, Yancey was booked on suspicion of murder. He was also charged with kidnapping, evidence tampering, and conspiracy. His case ended with two sentences of 15 years each for one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. The sentences were to run consecutively. Since Hendy had given details to help on these cases, the charges against her were, were reduced from 25 to five counts of conspiracy and being an accessory. She pleaded no contest in exchange for a sentence of 36 years. After reading the continuing coverage, the mother-in-law of a woman, married only a few days to her son, came forward to tell the police how the girl had gone missing for three days. She had come back disheveled and unable to explain herself. They had assumed she was on drugs, so they asked her to leave, which she did. She ended up in Colorado. The police located her, and she was identified as the woman in the videotape who was being tortured and assaulted, seemingly against her will. Her tattoos matched those of the woman. However, she only had fragmented memories of what had happened. She did remember Jesse Ray and being taken to the trailer. Ray had threatened her with a knife, she said, while Jesse restrained her. She was stripped and tied onto a bench in a small room, and she accurately recalled items from the toy box. She also remembered being subjected to several types of sexual assault. She was then taken out and dropped off near her in-law's home, disoriented. She could barely recall what happened. Um... I want to stop it there. We're going to get into more sentencing and other other stuff that they're going to dig up. But I would like to keep this as a two-parter. Um, just because there is still quite a bit left. Um, but yeah, what, what, are, what are our thoughts? thoughts so far um i'm never going to new mexico that's for sure uh good god how does you get so many people involved in this and it just stays a secret i mean i mean i i can see how it happened everybody gets involved nobody wants to say anything you know going to police and getting arrested but it just but just wow yeah, and I mean David David Parker Ray from all accounts again no evidence no anything of any killings but from all statements uh he's believed to have killed 60 women 60 60 women just the most of any serial killer I'm curious as to why he let this one live as well 
seems to have a habit of letting quite a few of them live. Yeah, like it makes no sense why why he let those live that he did and I mean I I, I get I my gut feeling is that I have no doubt this guy killed women. I don't think that was his his intent. Like his end goal was never was if they died, they die. He doesn't care. He's made it very clear they're not people. They're packages. They don't they don't matter to him. If they die, if their bodies just can't handle what's going on, then they just give out and pat and die. Eh, so be it. He had, he literally can drive anywhere. Well, bury the bodies and it'd be no problem, but he but again, people are there are living victims who are getting out there. They're they're as far as we can tell, there's not many of them. Well uh, and I I think I think there's an ego factor here. Um I think that he has done so much to break these women down that he believes they'll never talk. Because they'll they'll be so ashamed. Oh yeah, I'm and sure. I'm sure he's picking I'm, specifically people who are, you know, probably on the margin, sex workers, and yeah, so it probably won't. And again, everything that he describes, it sounds like about conditioning and control. Well, why, why go to all that effort if he's just going to kill them in the end? Well, and one thing too is that. We we know statistically that victims of sexual assault don't usually speak out against their attackers. Um, mostly for shame, they believe their attackers make them believe it was something that they did. Uh, that it's something that they should be ashamed of. That if they hadn't dressed a certain way or looked at somebody a certain way and all that bullshit... Um, that they would never have become victims of sexual assault. Uh, and it, I think it kind of is the same thing here where he has done so much to them and he's broken them down and made them into nothing where, and really who's going to believe them? Who's going to believe that they were, all this torturing and all of that, and they were let to live. This person right. should have killed them. Right. So who's going to believe them? Yeah, that's true. But as I, I, I think as we've seen so far, just a cursory look from the police turned out to prove everything was right. Yeah. Um. So with that, we will continue this next week. Part two of the Toy Box Killer. Um, we want to, we want to thank you for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seat, and always tip the bard. We'll see you guys later. <laughs>